Hello, and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. I'm Brad Warner, author of Letters to a Dead Friend about Zen, Hardcore Zen, Sit Down and Shut Up, uh, Don't Be a Jerk, It Came from Beyond Zen, There Is No God and He Is Always With You, Sex, Sin, and Zen, Zen Wrapped in Karma, Dipped in Chocolate. Is, is that the whole set? Anyway, a bunch of books about Zen. This podcast is offered for free but you can donate to me if you go to hardcorezen.info slash donate, hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is where you will find links to my Patreon and PayPal accounts. That is my main way of making a living, so I really appreciate your support. But as I said, take it for free if you don't want to pay for it. All right, here is part two of my talk at Benedictushof, which is a retreat center in Germany where I talked about Hyakujo's fox. This continues on from the previous episode about Hyakujo's fox, and let's just jump right into it. Here we go. Let's take a listen. So let's continue a little with uh, Hyakujo's fox. Uh, I would... Um, I'm going to read you a, a different translation. I read you one translation yesterday from uh, Joshu Sasaki Roshi, and then this translation is actually done by my teacher, uh, Guru Nishijima Roshi, with his student, uh, Mike Lutchford. So here's their version. Whenever Master Hyakujo Ekai gave his formal preaching, there was an old man who would always listen to the preaching along with the rest of the assembly. When the assembly retired, the old man would also retire. However, one day he did not leave. Eventually, the master asked, Who is this person that stands before me? The old man answered, I am not a person. Long ago, in the time of Kashyapa Buddha, I was master of this temple. One day, a Buddhist student asked me whether even a great Buddhist practitioner falls into cause and effect. In reply, I said to him, He does not fall into cause and effect. Since then, I have fallen into the body of a wild fox for 500 lives. So I beg you, Master, to say, something, to say some words that will change me. I would like to get rid of the wild fox's body. Then he asked, does someone of great Buddhist practice also fall into cause and effect or not? The Master said, do not be unclear about cause and effect. At these words, the old man realized the truth. After prostrating himself, he said, I am already free of the body of a wild fox. Now I would like to remain on the mountain behind this temple. Uh, dare I ask you, Master, to perform the funeral ceremony of a Buddhist monk for me? The Master ordered the supervising monk to strike the wooden block to summon the monks. Then he told them, after the meal, we will hold a, a uh, funeral ceremony for a deceased monk. All the monks discussed this among themselves, saying, The monks are all in good health, and no one is sick in the infirmary. What is the reason for this funeral ceremony? After their meal, the master led the monks to the foot of a big rock behind the temple and picked out a dead fox with a stick. Then they cremated it following the formal method. In the evening, the master gave his formal preaching in the lecture hall, in which he told the above story. Then Master Obaku said, The words with which the man in the past taught his student were a wrong answer, and so he fell into the body of a wild fox for 500 lives. If he, had given, if he had gone on without making mistakes, what would have become of him? Master Hyakujo said, step up here and I will tell you. Uh, Master Obaku went up and gave the master a slap. Uh, master Hyakujo clapped his hands, laughed, and said, your attitude is like the fact that a foreigner's beard is red, 
But there is also the viewpoint that a man with a red beard is a foreigner. The foreigner in, is uh, Bodhidharma, and this, the story is Bodhidharma came from, some, some say India, some say Afghanistan, and he's supposed to have had a red beard, and he was the person who brought the Zen practice to China. So often you'll hear these talks about a foreigner, and that's uh, usually Bodhidharma. Um, so a little bit of background on the, the koan might be useful. Uh, Hyakujo. Uh, I'm not sure Hyakujo's pronunciation in Chinese, so the Chinese people pronounce the names differently. Uh, and often if the books you're reading are translated from Japanese, they will say Hyakujo, and if they're translated from Chinese, they'll say, um, I've forgotten what it's called, how, how it's called in, uh, in Chinese. But um, Hyakujo is famous for kind of uh, what he did was make the Zen practice a little bit less um, holy, maybe. Uh, that's maybe not the right word. Uh, he, he thought that it was kind of one-sided to have a practice which is solely focused on meditation and kind of achieving a, an enlightenment experience. So he, he made a lot of rules and things in his monastery, and he was very strict about also living a regular life and the most famous story about Hyakujo is that when he was a very old man, uh, he became kind of weak, and he had a rule that all of the monks had to work. The samu that we do in the morning here, and that, that is done at every Zen retreat, is kind of in remembrance of, of him, that you, you do a work period at every retreat. Uh, and it's, it's because of Hyakujo's instruction. He was the one that invented that. And it was so important to him that when he was old, they, his monks worried about his health and he, he shouldn't be working so hard, so they, they took all his tools and things away so he couldn't work. And then he refused to eat. And after several days, uh, somebody said, you know, tried to get him to come out, and he said, one day no work, one day no eat. So he wouldn't eat unless he was allowed to work, and they had to let him work again. So that's the most famous Hyakujo story. I don't know any other Hyakujo stories. I should look them up, but um, that's the most famous one. So uh, this koan is, is interesting to me. As I said, I have read and studied it for you know almost 40 years. I have a book at home uh, that's all just, uh, just a whole book about the fox koan. And I've forgotten everything that was written in that book. <laughs> I read it many years ago, but it was very scholarly and very difficult, so I forgot it all. But there is a somebody wrote an entire book uh, about the the koan and, and the history of it and various versions of it. There's different. Most of the versions are are very uh, similar. They always have the same the same um, events but uh, some of them have a different nuance to them. Dogen uh, has two chapters of Shobo Genzo dedicated to the, to the fox koan, and I put them both in my book, uh, It Came From Beyond Zen, and they're, they're interesting because they, he seems to 
the, it's two talks he gave, and they are actually one doesn't have a date on it, so we don't know, but they seem to be done fairly wide apart in time. And he gives a completely different explanation of the koan in one and the other. <laughs> so, um, and the, the one very simple explanation he gives in, in one of his uh, writings about it is it's called, uh, the piece is called Deep Belief in Cause and Effect. And in that one, he says that there's only one, he, he kind of gives it like there's one message to this koan, which is we should always believe in cause and effect, in karma. And we should never deny cause and effect. And that the first answer that he gives is mistaken uh, when he says there's no, um, the master doesn't fall into cause and effect, and, and everybody is subject to cause and effect. That's the one that's easy to understand. Uh, but his other essay is much more interesting to me because he, he uh, says that both are correct. <laughs> both answers are correct. Uh, he doesn't fall into cause and effect, and cause and effect is very clear. So, um, I feel like when I when I talk about this koan, I feel like I am doing my version of a high wire act. Does that make any sense? You know, the in the circus where the person, you know, goes across and has to walk across this wire that's like. I don't know, 10 meters above the, the ground or, or 50 meters above the ground, really high, and he has to walk, and if he falls, he's dead. Uh, that's what I feel like when I do this koan. I feel like um, maybe it's a little bit beyond my understanding, but that's why I like to talk about it. Um, so one of the... The fascinating parts of this koan to me is it comes up in the first book I ever read it in. And the teacher there, that's uh, Joshua Sasaki, says, he points out, as Dogen actually points this out in his commentary too, that the old man, Hyakujo asks the old man, who are you? Who is this person in front of me? And he says, I am not a person. I'm not a human being. And in the first commentary I ever read about it, uh, Joshu Sasaki stops and says, you should understand this. This is, the, this is a very key point in the, uh, in the koan. He says, I'm not a human being. And he says, if, you, if anyone understands this meaning uh, and can prove it to me, I will make you a Zen master right now. That's what the teacher says when he's giving this lecture. And I remember hearing that and going, well, not a human being. I thought the teachings of Zen was we are all human beings. But it's kind of, I think it's kind of both. Um, so I'm, I'm going to leave you with that <laughs> and not try to explain it. But I think it's, it's, it's every version of the koan has that line, I am not a human being. So when I think about that now, I think who is reading the koan? Who is listening to the koan? Am I, am I a human being when I'm listening to the koan, or is, is, is something deeper listening to the koan? This is uh, me being very strange now. Because I feel like we are, we are kind of living um, in, on multiple 
levels at the same time. I'm sorry to be all strange and weird <laughs> today. But on one level, we listen to it as a human being. And when we listen to a koan or a story as a human being, we're putting our opinion on it and our, you know, our history. And, and when, I, when I was shocked by that expression at first, I was putting my own understanding of, of Buddhism into it. Um, and so I was listening as a person. But there's also another way to listen to it on a kind of deeper level, which is this more intuitive level. So maybe that's what he means when he says he's not a person. But the other, another thing that he says that's quite fascinating uh, about this is he talks about long ago in the age of uh, Kashapa Buddha or Kasho Buddha or Kasho Buddha, it's different, uh, different pronunciations, uh, he was the master of this, this mountain. So Hyakujo is actually the name of the mountain. So we, we talk about Hyakujo as if it's the name of the, the priest, uh, who's the famous one in the story, but the, the kind of tradition in Buddhism in China was after, after the, most of the temples were built on mountains, and after the master died, he would be called one thing when he was alive, and after he was dead, they would just start referring to him as, as the name of the mountain. Um, so when this, this ghost of the wild fox, you know, who's in the story, says, long ago I was the master of the mountain, he's saying, long ago I was Hyakujo. I was you. <laughs> I am you. I am your past. Is, is one of the ways of understanding this. And, and he's, he makes a reference to the time of um, Kashapa Buddha, which is a long, long time ago. And this is a good space to talk about the um, meaning of time in Buddhism, because this is also, I'm giving you a lot of information here, so forgive me. But this is also one of the interesting aspects of Buddhism is that we have a, a completely different understanding of time. And I found some quotes that I really liked this morning by uh, Dainin Katagiri Roshi, who was a Japanese uh, Buddhist uh, teacher who lived in America. Uh, I think he died in 1990 or so. Uh, but he was a, a really good teacher. And there's some books by him that I think are, are really great. He was. Like a lot of Buddhist teachers, he never actually wrote a book, but his teachers, his uh, students, listened to him and transcribed his lectures and turned them into books. So this is a bit, this is a bit long, and I tried to cut it down for you, but I, I just like it all, so I'm just going to read it to you. In Buddhism, we say that everything is the lively energy of life. When that universal energy touches down at the intersection of time and space, it temporarily appears as form, the form of a human being, the form of a tree, a bird, or a pebble. So pebbles possess a strong power, trees are powerful, birds are powerful, and human beings are powerful. All beings are powerful because they are nothing but the lively energy of life. Each one of us is a particular being who is located at the intersection of time and space. All beings exist by being right here, right now. If you understand time and space, then you can understand real reality, the place where time and space are perfectly unified. 
In the realm of time, everything exists separately from everything else. So, for example, I am an individual human being called Dainin Katagiri. Katagiri is Katagiri. Katagiri is not you. If I don't mentally recognize this separation, I cannot realize that I exist as a person called Katagiri. But prior to the functioning of my consciousness, before I think and recognize my own individual essence, existence, sorry, before I recognize my own individual existence, something already exists. In space, you cannot say who you are, but in time, your senses function and you can recognize yourself. If you want to understand your life, you have to understand both the practical, impermanent realm of the time process and the interconnected, eternal realm of space. Then you can understand the place where these two aspects of life are unified. That is the intersection of time and space. That is right here. At the intersection of time and space, everything exists separately and everything exists interconnected. This very moment is the place where you are fully alive as you are. You are, you are individual you are individual you in time, and your existence is interrelated with all beings in space. So you are you, and simultaneously you are not you. That is reality. It seems to be contradictory, but we live in that reality. You are connected with the whole universe. You cannot escape. <laughs> I like the way he puts it there. So Dogen used this word, uh, being time. Which, um, who's the German philosopher who says being time? Zeitensein? Um, Heidegger. Heidegger, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a similar concept. The idea is that you, your existence is time, which is not the way we generally think of it. We think that I am a person who exists in, within time. Time is something that I move around in, you know, uh, or, or it, it's something separate from me. You know, it's going on, and my watch is moving, and it's, you know, it's happening, and there's different things that happen at different times and different places we have to go. But uh, Dogen says that our own existence is time. And I think he's right. I think we are, we are time. So in order to be us as individuals, we have to have time, and we have to have space, but maybe time and space are ultimately a kind of illusion, although maybe um, not an illusion. Uh, now, when the, the old man replies, he says, um, he says, not subject, they don't fall into cause and effect. That's the um, furaku inga, if you want to know. The, the Japanese, the, the, it's four, four Chinese characters, furaku inga, uh, are the, the two key sentences in the, in the koan, or furaku inga, not falling uh, cause and effect. And the other one is fumai inga, not unclear cause and effect. So uh, when he says, I don't fall into cause and effect, one of the ways to understand that is to say, let me see, I wrote this down so I remember it. Uh, there is no world to fall from and no being subject to cause and effect. That's uh, actually from uh, Sasaki's book, but I think it's a good way to put it. So he's saying there is no, there is no being. There is, there is only the interconnectedness. 
And when you talk about interconnectedness in this, I gave that word Jiko that Dogen sometimes uses when he's talking about the bigger sense of self. Within that self, you can't even talk about cause and effect because everything is just happening as it happens. But as an individual, whoa, <laughs> there's cause and effect right there. Uh, there is cause and effect. But when he says this, uh, he's reborn as, as a fox. And that uh, the symbolism is the fox is supposed to be this tricky animal. You know, this, this, uh, so it kind of implies that he's, he's playing a trick on us. Um, but maybe we're playing a trick on ourselves when we see ourselves as being subject to, to cause and effect. I have a couple of quotes from Dogen that I wrote down, but I'm not sure how they fit, but I'll say them anyway. These aren't quotes, I just wrote my notes. Um, Dogen says that he, he talks, the old man says, I was the master of this mountain in the past. And Dogen says the mountain, Hyakujo mountain of the past, is not the same as Hyakujo mountain now, but they're also not different. And he likes to talk in, in these weird riddles like that. Um, and your, I, I interpret that as saying that your past is not you right now. You, you, we all have a past, and we think that we're the product of our past. And you know, I'm in in a sense, I'm the product of of um, this this being you see here is here because uh, some other Brad took an airplane from from Los Angeles to New York, and then another airplane from New York to Helsinki, and then spent you know, a week in Finland, and then took another airplane to uh, München, and then came here by car, and there I am, a product of my past. Um, and that's one way of looking at it, because I couldn't be here without that past sort of propelling me on to this, to this place. But at the same time, what happens here and now is a manifestation of something uh, bigger. And this is the part where it gets weird, but I think it's true. Uh, I, I've um, struggled with this in the past, but I think that what is going on here and now is also separate from, from the past. It's, it's also its own thing. It's each moment is kind of independent of, of its past and its future. Also, uh, Dogen is, go, is at great pains to point out, because he doesn't like the idea of uh, people thinking that uh, Hyakujo's soul left his body and he was reincarnated as a fox. And he, he makes a big point out of explaining that that's not how to understand the story. So I thought I would mention that, but I don't want to go uh, and uh, go too far into that, but that's something that uh, Dogen thought was important. Does anyone have anything they want to say? I've talked for 25 minutes and 12 seconds. Um, that seems like a good amount. And I told you about the Godzilla movies being having funny titles in Germany. So. Yes? Yeah, the red beard. Yeah. And why is it, uh, this 
then this could be uh, other monks coming up to the master and slapping him, yeah. And slap him. Yeah. Yes. Actually, I wanted to save that for tomorrow, but I'll start. I'll do it. I'll do it. Actually, I wanted to do the koan in, in parts, but since you asked, I'll I'll say it. But uh, I might say it again tomorrow. One of the ways of understanding when he says, "You said the Bodhidharma's beard was red, but it's also true that the man with the red beard is Bodhidharma," is related to form is emptiness, emptiness is form, which is in the Heart Sutra. That's um, Oh, why am I? Uh, I'm blanking on the the, the uh, Japanese that we chant every morning. Shiki sokuze ku ku sokuze shiki. So now you know when you chant that tomorrow, you'll know that means form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Shiki sokuze ku ku sokuze shiki. Um, also, it's it's the the whole koan has this back and forth structure so so the red beard is bodhidharma and bodhidharma has a red beard is also the same as saying there is no he doesn't fall into cause and effect but he is subject to cause and effect so it's it's trying to make the point of this of this um, contradiction is the word <laughs> i can't think of the word contradiction um, so the contradiction is our human minds are, are kind of built to understand the world one way at one time. So that's how we get through life. You know, you have to make a separation and say it's like this. But it's never exactly like this, no matter what this happens to be. It's always you're putting one way of looking at things forward and leaving the other way in the background. But sometimes the other one comes in the forward and, and, and the, the first one fades into the background. So I'll try to talk about that more tomorrow, but that's, that's my understanding of that ending of the, the koan. Because the koan has the two parts, you know, it has the, the story of the, the fox and the, and the weird conversation, and then it has this ending where uh, I never, for a long time, I never understood what the connection between the first part of the koan was and the second part. So, for for if you're if you're having trouble understanding that, that's fine. Because for years, I was just like, what does this first part have to do with the second part? I don't know. Um, so, um, and it's a funny, it's an old story, and it's a it's a some people. It really surprised me to find this out, but some people read the story. Literally, like they, they want to believe it actually happened that this you know this fox I, I never take it as a as a story that actually happened, but I um, I think it's developed as a way of teaching something, but uh, I find it funny because I, I have encountered people who are like very serious Zen students who are like oh yeah there was a there was a real fox and there was a real guy and turned into a fox and I'm like oh okay <laughs> that's funny. Maybe that's one way to understand it. I think I'd like to ask if yeah. there's humor in the story or is it not serious? No, I think there, I think there's always humor in the in these stories. So um, the 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 thing I didn't tell you that I was saving for tomorrow, <laughs> I'm gonna use all my tomorrow material, is that Obaku is supposed to have been a really big guy. And all the stories about him say that he was I don't know in meters. They they say seven feet tall, so that's more than two meters tall. So 
especially in ancient China, that would be a really big guy, you know, <laughs> especially at a time when most people were, were much shorter than they are now. And so the idea of him coming up to his teacher and hitting his teacher is, is, uh, is kind of weird. And, and also the, the, the fact that they would have that relationship where that could happen um, is kind of funny in its way. Yeah. I think sometimes when people miss the humor of these stories, it's unfortunate because they become very serious. And then, and then we... But Zen is full of stuff of people grabbing each other's noses and going, and so there's all kinds of stuff like that. It's like the Three Stooges or something. Did they have the Three Stooges in Germany? Did I ask you this before? The Three Stooges? Maybe it never happened in Germany. The Three Stooges are the American comedians who are just hitting each other all the time. In the, from the 1930s, was there? Can you say something more about the intersection of space and time? Ah, the intersection of space and time, yeah. this very moment right now? Yeah, I think that's what uh, Katagiri Roshi means when he says the intersection of space and time. And I just, um, I read this book and I put it in my Kindle and this morning when I was um, looking for a good quote about time, I came across it. So I didn't remember uh, this, uh, this uh, metaphor about the intersection of space and time. But I think that's, that's where we exist right now. And time is this, is this funny thing because if we don't have time, we can't communicate with each other. Communication takes time. And perhaps, if we want to speculate, in this more absolute world, maybe there's instant communication. I don't know. Um, in, in Japanese, there's a phrase, ishin denshin, which is not exactly the same as the idea of telepathy, but it's the idea of, of people having one mind and transmitting the it to each other immediately. So immediately you understand each other. And sometimes that happens with human beings, that they understand each other immediately, but usually in order to understand each other we have to spend time, sometimes a lot of time, to understand each other. And I, I, I think... I'm not sure what this this world is. That's you know my my main quest, the reason I got into Zen was to try to understand what this world is. But to understand it as the intersection of space and time, I think, is a good way to put it, because we have, now, here we have time and space. You're all, you know, however far away you are from me, and I'm here, and you see me as an object in space. And in time, you listen to my words, and you think about them, and, and you have some idea, and I think about what you ask me, and I have an idea, and we can communicate that way. Um, maybe this is a process that's necessary, or maybe this is what's really going on is instantaneous communication, but somehow we have fallen into a, a way of looking at it where we see it as, as separate. Uh, that's sometimes why I think. But yeah, this, uh, uh, there, there are a lot of other stories about uh, time.
Dogen's uh, being time that I mentioned before, Uji, is, is really one of his uh, more interesting pieces of writing. And there's a, there's a few books about it uh, these days. But sometimes I think uh, the books don't get it right. <laughs> but I don't know. Do you think some things get lost in translation in these koans? So for example, people in Japan and maybe the Japanese, because there are, like in Chinese, there are different ways to interpret certain signs, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you think, for example, when we read it in English, we understand it differently than if it was read in Chinese or Japanese? For sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, always, there's always something lost uh, or that gets changed. And also these koans go through different cultures. So, so it's easy to kind of, as, as a, an American or, or a European person looking at it, you, we tend to, I'm not saying you, but we tend to think of like Asia as this one thing where they all understand each other. But Jap Japan, Japanese culture is very different from Chinese culture, for example. So even moving the, the story from uh, China, where it was probably originated, to Japan, uh, it changes it. And then it changes when it comes here. Uh, and and the, the thing to do is to try to figure out what's, what's the real essence. I hate that word, essence, sometimes. It gives the wrong idea. But there's an idea, there, there's kind of some, some kind of basic meaning to, to this story, to any story. And, and this, you know, what you're asking is kind of even a bigger question of, of Zen, you know, how we practice, because we've, we've imported this. Uh, this teaching from somewhere else and fairly recently too uh, there really wasn't anything written in uh, European languages about Buddhism you know 200 years ago probably you might find the oldest things so that's not that's pretty recent and even then it, it was only about the last 50 years that people actually started practicing, 50, maybe 70, if you really want to stretch it, of, of people uh, outside of Asia practicing this, this sort of um, a practice, you know, actually going in and sitting and doing it and trying to understand it fully instead of just understanding it intellectually. So, you know, how do we know we're doing it right? <laughs> it's, you know, a, a part of the question you're asking, I think, and and that's um, that's difficult to know, you know. Um, there are people who try to to find different ways of of putting it across, and I think we're trying to to figure that out now. And a lot of people are struggling with with how uh, how not to how to not lose uh, the the real meaning uh, when we're when we have to interpret it into a different culture and a different time. Um, I really don't know. I, I, I feel like in my own life I had this uh, weird... It's, this is like the, you know, my own history is, is very strange because I started, I studied um, Buddhism. I just got interested in it when I was a university student and I started practicing Zen and I did this for about 10 years. And whole, whole completely other circumstances that had nothing to do with Zen uh, made it so that I moved to Japan. You know, I moved to Japan not, I didn't move to Japan to study Zen, I moved to Japan to get a job as a teacher, you know, an English teacher. Um, 
And I was perfectly content with the, with the teacher I had in America, but then I, I was originally going to stay in Japan for a year or two, and I ended up staying for 11 years. So completely changed my life. And, and so I got this, um, this very strong dose of Japanese culture, you know, to the point where it's, you know, I'm, I'm part of my, my own way of experiencing life is so, is so, I have so much Japanese stuff now, you know, even if I didn't really try just from living there for so long. Uh, and so there, there's people who've, who've done that, uh, like me, who've gone over there and brought it back, and, and that can help uh, in, the, in the transition, you know. I'm not trying to say I'm, I'm great, but I, I had this, this opportunity to live in, 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 that, in that environment. And it's, I, I often see, see that I'm going to sound like I'm bragging, so I'm sorry. But I often see people make mistakes about um, interpretations of, of um, Buddhism because they never lived in outside of uh, the U.S. or Germany or wherever, um, my favorite example was there's a there's a famous quote by Dogen, in which he says uh, he's talking about zazen. He says, "Think the thought of not thinking. Uh, what is the thought of not thinking? It's different from thinking. This is what he describes as what to do in zazen." And um, so the first, the first time he says it, he says fushiryo. So it, think the thought of not thinking, that, that not thinking is fushiryo. And fu is a, a soft negation, and shiryo means uh, consideration. It doesn't, it, it's kind of not the same as, it's more, it more means something like deliberately thinking, rather than just thoughts just come up in your mind. You know, you're not trying to prevent just random thoughts from come up, coming up in your mind. You're trying to, uh, not deliberately think about something, you know, in zazen, like, you know, actually actively think about something. But if just thoughts come up, that's, you know, different. And then when he says it's different from thinking, that's my teacher's version, he says, hishiryo. Um, and he is a much stronger negation. And I once saw a guy give a lecture uh, who is a Buddhist um, scholar, and he said, well, fu... Fushiro, the fu in fushiro and the he in shishiro are the same. They just mean not. And I said, and I'm just going, no, they don't mean the same thing. Um, and the reason I know they don't mean the same thing is because of living over there and seeing the characters. I'm drawing them in the air. It doesn't make any sense to you. Seeing them all over the place, and that hishiro is used in when like a sign that wants to make a really strong emphasis on you. You better not step on this rail in the train track, or you'll be electrocuted. You know that kind of a sign will be like he hishiryo, or the word emergency when when uh, it's a hijo. So it has that same. So it has this feeling of like it's really urgent. It's not just you don't do that. It's like you really don't do that. You know, and and but if you just if you just look at a dictionary and get your and get your meaning from a dictionary, you'll just see the definition, and they look like the same definition. And so you can be a scholar and say, oh, they're the same thing. But um, 
but it's because you haven't lived in the culture and just, you know, every time you go in the train station, you see the, the sign telling you not to, to step on that rail, <laughs> you know, or something like that. And seeing these all the time, you get a different impression. So, yeah, sometimes things get lost in translation. <laughs> that was a very long answer. <laughs> Sorry. All right, there you go. That was part two of Hyaka Joe's Fox from Benedictushof. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to support this podcast, go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. You will find my PayPal and Patreon links there. That is my main way of getting support from you, and I really support, really appreciate your support, and thank you for that. But if you don't want to support it, this is offered for free, so take it for free. We will see you next time. Have a good time all the time. Bye.